Hello, and welcome to Producer Says What. This is Pierre Jackalone coming to you from Hopetown Sound Studios in Doylestown, Pennsylvania. And I wanted to cover a few topics. Um, to be honest with you, uh, my partner, uh, the brilliant producer in residence, uh, Brian Dale Allen Strauss, uh, contacted me this morning. I guess he was listening to the podcast and he had some ideas about things he wanted to do with it. And I said, great, let's do that. Um, so it kind of got me thinking about the podcast again, which is good because it can, I can get busy with the studio and, and it can sort of fall uh, by the wayside uh, all too easily. So uh, look forward to an upcoming episode uh, with uh, hopefully me and Brian together. Uh, we both thought that would be a fun thing to do. Uh, we have uh, different perspectives on music, but there's an awful lot of mutual admiration. Uh, Brian's a brilliant songwriter. Uh, he had uh, a band called The Lawsuits that was signed, and you know, he's just super talented. And, um, but it's interesting because, um, you know, he's, uh, he's the kind of person that, you know, the creative side of his mind really, uh, finds value, you know, with oddball pieces of gear that, that totally would go under the radar for me. And so again, I really appreciate, uh, his perspective, um, He's constantly, you know, turning me on to gear that I never would have looked at twice, and um, and uh, and so and and it's fun too because we uh, sometimes we don't see eye to eye on things, but we are, he's, you know, we have one of those uh, unusual relationships where we can really have, you know, uh, a fully um, respected disagreement and walk away. You know, I know I walk away thinking that you know I've learned something and I've, I've been my perspective has been opened from the conversation and so that's a great thing so hopefully that'll translate to the podcast format uh we both thought it would so we'll, we'll see we'll try it um and uh otherwise uh my last episode was all about gear so i really wanted to make this about music but just quick updates um because there are a few uh, i don't think i made this happen yet uh on the last episode but we added a mastering equalizer to the studio that I'm so excited about and pleased about. Um, this is uh, the one that we eventually went with um, is the uh, Chandler Limited, um, uh, the uh, Curve Bender. Uh, it has a really absurd model name. It's, uh, it's like the TG12345. Uh, I, I don't know what, I guess it's like British humor because this was um, basically this equalizer, like most of Chandler's stuff, is an exact uh recreation of a of the eq that was in one of the original mixing boards at abbey road um and uh with a few uh features added on and um it's officially endorsed by abbey road it says abbey road right on it um and you know it's really the e the equalizer sound in in the same board that the album Abbey Road was done on and other subsequent albums like Dark Side of the Moon. and um, So it's just a fantastic piece of gear. I love it. Um, it's useful both in mixing, mastering, and, and then also in recording even. And um, it's just an in incredibly flexible um, piece of equipment. And it has this unique feature of... Uh, you know, it's it it has um, 
uh, germanium circuitry, <laughs> which distorts in a certain very pleasing way is the best way to describe it without getting too deep into the weeds. And it also has, um, you know, input and output transformers that are true to the era. And for those not familiar, uh, the effect of, of uh, transformers in most audio gear is... Um, It'll tend to almost act like a light compression, and you know it'll sort of, you know, tighten everything up, but in a very usually in a very musical way. I'm assuming they chose you know musical uh, transformers, um, and in this case, I don't know how much of it is the transformers and how much of it is the germanium, um, you know, diodes inside the circuitry. But one way or another, this piece of gear is one of those you know, you can almost do no wrong. Like, you can push the low end, the high end, and it all sounds good, but at the same time, another thing that's really amazing about it is the the gear almost, it, it guides you incredibly quickly to what ends up being the only setting that is really right, uh, which is, it's a, it's, it, those two things seem like they're in um, con conflict with each other, but, but they, they're not. Um, you know, it's like you can you can hear how you could dial it in any way, and it would sound pretty good. But at the same time, the right setting re like, almost immediately reveals itself, and then it's funny because like I'll be like, "Well, what if I did do this?" And I'll just go right back to that setting. That and um, I've never really used a piece of gear that did that so well, and it's almost. Um, the way this thing treats the very high and the very low end, which is where it's, I think it's most popular for with most of the engineers that use this stuff. Um, I know like Tony Maserati is um, an endorser of uh, Chandler's stuff, and he uses it on all his stuff. But um, uh, it's almost like having guy, you know, guardrails on uh, <laughs> on the high end and low end. It's like you know, you can push the low end and get this really big extended. Um, you know, bigger than life, low end, and it's never too much, and and it's just and it's punchy and and it's wonderful, and uh, and the same thing with the top end, like you can get clarity, it's but it's never harsh, and um, but and and it, it, as I've been using it, even you know with material that that comes in harsh on the top end, the ability to cut that top end but not lose clarity and just get rid of the harshness is just, it's really amazing. So um, anyway, to say, uh, as you can see, I'm very pleased. <laughs> and uh, that's a big addition to, um, you know, to our, uh, to our arsenal of, of uh, tools here, of weapons of tools, <laughs> you know, arsenals of tools. Um, but it's, like I said, it's, it's, it's useful in all stages. Um, you know, I just, had to remaster a couple of songs for the band Illinois that I had originally mastered on other equipment, um, and it had nothing to do with the mastering job. It was it was about them getting the rights to use certain samples, and so they had to swap samples out, and and it had to be remastered. And so I had the opportunity to approach the same material with the change of equipment, and it was fascinating. It was really interesting, like hearing the differences and, and the different workflow. Um, and, uh, you know, in the end, uh, you know, um, it's hard to say because the, the originals came out really good too, but I think I got, you know, um, without, without being too 
definite about one being objectively better than the other. I think I got closer to what I wanted with this piece of gear, which is nice. Um, but anyway, so uh, I didn't want to make this one all about gear, but that was a particularly big uh, acquisition, and I wanted to mention it. And it really does open up um, our services even more. I mean, you know, I always did mastering. Um, mastering was my main business in New York in the late 90s. Um, but, uh, you know, I never had this. I never had, like, that one really spectacular um, analog equalizer. And... Um, but what we have had for a while now is a, is a really spectacular uh, tube uh, compressor, which is our Fern VT7, and and also um, pretty recently uh, added the AudioScape um, version of the SSL bus compressor. Uh, so really, between those three pieces of gear, it's it's an amazing analog uh, mastering chain and. You know, what I did for Illinois and what I do in general is um, I just do an analog pass, like, through all the, through that gear. And, you know, and then I'll take the results of that pass, put it into uh, Steinberg's WaveLab, which is, you know, software that's purpose-built just for mastering. And, you know, it, it might need a little... Um, you know, nudge here and there, but it's usually pretty close to done at that point. Um, and, you know, there are still some software uh, solutions that are nice. You know, like, I'll do the peak limiting in, in WaveLab. Um, or if it requires it, if it sounds good on it, um, you know, the like a tape simulation. Um, the Universal Audio's um, Ampex um, ATR-102, that's a phenomenal plugin. Uh, highly recommend it. Um, I actually got to use the real, uh, real-to-real tape deck that they was based on once it was rented for a mastering gig I did in New York in the '90s. And you know, the real thing is un is unbelievable. <laughs> but uh, they they picked the right one to emulate uh, with the software, and it's 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 a great plugin. And I actually once even had somebody from Universal Audio. Uh, just tell me that, like, you know, that that really is like their one of their flagship plugins, and, and it was funny because he was comparing that plugin to their Studer tape plugin, which is more designed to go on individual tracks, and uh, and I forgot the context exactly, but he said to me it was sort of like the Ampex was their Ferrari, and the Studer was like their you know, um, their Pinto, or not their Pinto, but their Toyota or something, you know, their, their very average run-of-the-mill, you know, plug-in versus their supercharged amazing thing. Um, so not, not to talk badly about the Studer, but, but the Ampex is really something else. So, um, anyway, uh, moving on, uh, <laughs> what I really wanted to, um, to touch base on was uh, more musical stuff today, and um, so let's uh, let's make that hard transition um, and uh, <laughs> uh, my segues are obviously not my forte, but um, the thing that you know there's always there's always stuff worth talking about when it comes to uh, musical issues of production that. I think are really useful for musicians to consider when they're when they're going to be coming in to record or just write music in general. Um, and the one that um, you know I run into time and time again is um, 
is voice leading. And so that's kind of where I wanted to, you know, just spend a little time today. And, you know, for those, uh, that's, voice leading is a term that I think uh, every songwriter or musician has at least heard mentioned. Um, you, you usually have to go to school to actually study it. I don't think too many people uh, undertake, uh, you know, um, formal voice leading study on their own. Um, it's just one of those things like biochemistry, like why would you put yourself through it if you didn't have to? <laughs> but, um, but there's a good answer to that, uh, which, uh, which is that uh, it really, um, you know, well, let's get, into, let's get into the weeds on it. So what is voice leading um, for those that really don't know? Um, what voice leading in its, like the simplest definition I can think of is um, when you have uh, chords in a song um, going you know, one to the other, um, really what a chord is fundamentally is multiple melodies being played on top of each other, and the chords are where, you know, those melodies meet. And, you know, they'll usually be you know, wherever the rhythm calls for, but, you know, on the one or whatever of, 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 the, of the bar. Um, but, um, but wherever they meet up, you know, you've got four, say you've got three or four different lines, melodies, forming a chord. And so where, if you've just learned music in a very, you know, straightforward, like, here's a G chord, here's a C chord, here's a D chord kind of way, which is, I think, the way most of us do, certainly in the beginning, um, you know, it's sort of, it, it's funny, like, it's almost cart before the horse, like, like, you're being taught the result of voice leading, you know, as opposed to, uh, you know, like, how, why? Like, why was there ever a G chord, or a D chord, or a C chord, or what are they? You know, and... You know, you sort of get into music theory a little bit, but without you know people's eyes glazing over too much, you know, uh, a major scale right is seven notes, um, and that then repeat uh, or or a minor scale, and um, and so the uh, you know a major chord uh, triad is three notes, um, and they're the one, the three, and the five of that scale, right? So I hope I didn't lose anybody yet. But, uh, you know, so a C chord would be 1, 3, and 5 is C, E, and G. Okay, so we've got a major chord there. Um, so what you're talking about is a situation where you had three different melodies that landed on C, E, and G, uh, or started on C, E, and G. And, um, you know, if you're going to get to uh, the... The five chord, also called the dominant, um, you know, so well, we know what that is because we know that we just said it. G is five, so um, so you know what's a what's the one, three, and five of of uh, G? You know, like G B D, and um, so how are you going to get from C E G to to, to G B D? You know, um, the reason why. Five and one are so interrelated, and why, like, it's called dominant is because even though it's in the middle of the scale, five out of eight, seven, whatever, you know, it's actually it, it's a position where the notes in the chord are close 
to each other. So leaning from that five chord into the one is very is actually very easy, and and you can almost say it wants to go from G the G chord to the C from the five to the one, and that's what you hear in most music when you when you know when you hear a five chord a dominant chord it is leaning into the one it's what you hear right before it comes back home you know to the tonic or the one chord um and so that's a that movement of five to one is sort of one of the most obvious movements but there's all the others <laughs> uh there yeah you know, and in each of these uh you know chords in a scale have their own known quality so like in a major key the five is major the two is minor the six is minor the four is major you know so these all um really you know again it's sort it's uh, uh it's a chicken versus egg thing although it isn't really because you know this came out of mo the movement of the individual lines and you know, um, Bach, you know, developing, uh, you know, rules of that movement that led to, you know, chord movement that made sense. You know, in other words, that, 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 that resulted in things like a five chord leaning into the one chord and so on. And, you know, the entire study of that movement of those lines is known as counterpoint. And, you know, uh, in music school, you have that stuff drilled into you. And there's a lot of rules that certainly when you're uh, young and you like rock and roll seem pretty stodgy and like, yeah, I don't want to have to do that. And, you know, like they say no parallel fifths, which is like if you play rock guitar, that's all it is, <laughs> you know, is parallel fifths. Um, but, um, but, you know, if you, if you follow all these rules, you end up with, you know, uh, a, certain you know coherent music and um and it's like anything else i mean you know you you got to learn the rules to break the rules so that you know where you're breaking them and you know the significance of breaking them and you know how to use that in in for effect and um so um you know, I mean, when I was in, you know, one of the things we also did in school was uh, we had to sing these things. So, like, there's these Bach chorales. And, you know, there's, there's a, a bass, tenor, alto, and soprano parts. And, you know, the teachers would just randomly assign, you know, okay, sing the soprano part or whatever. And and four of us would have to just, you know, sing it. And, you know, sight, sight sing your part. And, and concentrate on singing your part correctly, even if somebody else was screwing up theirs, which was not easy. Um, but it really gave you a sense of how, um, you know, the top voice of this chord movement was the melody. It was a melody. And, and even though it had much less movement by default, the inner voices of the chords had what were their own melody you could play them by themselves and you know they weren't as expressive as the soprano part as the top part but but they made sense and and, and bass absolutely i mean the bass was usually you know is defining the chord and and you know 
and that's the base is really important, I think, for people to recognize its significance because, you know, that's, I mean, again, this is not news to anybody who's played in a band, but like, you know, if you change up the note that the bass is playing and make it not the tonic, not the one of the chord, uh, you really radically change the feel of, of that chord and the, and the whole song and the music. And, um, and in fact, there was an entire style of music called figured bass, where the bass line was improvised uh, by the performer. And um, because it was so interesting how much you could change a piece of music by changing the bass. Um, so, you know, again, it's um, having to sing the lines, having to study the, them as lines really informed uh, both your mind and your ear as to why chords, you know, why are there chords and why are they like that? And, and why would you use this inversion of a chord here and not there? And, um, and, you know, I think for most people that go through school for composition or whatever, um, you know, if they, they can retain that, the intellectual side of that and, and use it in their creativity, and that's a beautiful thing. For me, um, I'm just a rock guitar player uh, at heart and, and in reality. And, uh, you know, I sort of, my approach was I sort of let that knowledge wash over me and I let it tune my ear and then when I got out of school, I did everything I could to um, forget it, and because and, I I wanted to be able to just act instinctively, um, and yeah, <laughs> I'm painting this as a as an intentional choice. I, I don't know, you know, that it was or not. Uh, maybe I just couldn't retain that information, or but it's. Um, you know, but what I did retain was how it tuned my ear. And, you know, once you've learned these things, the interesting thing that happens is when you hear a movement that doesn't, um, not, not that it doesn't follow the rules, but that just clearly doesn't have, you know, uh, a rationalization, you know, that doesn't have um, a reason for why this note is leaping to that note, it sets a red flag off in, 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 your, in your ear. And, and you're just like, ooh, that, that doesn't make sense to me. And that happens a lot uh, in, in where I sit. Um, you know, I have a lot of musicians, songwriters coming in. And, you know, if they've only just sort of learned the chords without the context of where they came from and their ear isn't tuned to how to that movement... Um, you know, you, you get a lot of uh, just sort of leaping around from chord to chord um, without, you know, that sense of flow. And um, I think when it's almost like it's, it's not quite that bad, but it almost sounds like out of tune in a way. It's, it, it's, that's an analogy. It's not exactly out of tune, but it's like it feels wrong. And you know, and I think if any time you play a piece of music like that for somebody whose ear was tuned to voice leading, it'll rub them the same way. And and generally, what'll happen is we'll try to we'll try to help you change it. We'll try to you know say, hey, can we do this this way? Or you know, or it would make a little more sense if we 
you know, we can make this, you know, we can make this leap if you throw this in between or something, something along those lines. And, um, you know, uh, I know for me that I, I have, um, quite a few, uh, artists that come into the studio that I end up playing a lot of instruments for, you know, bass uh, in particular, um, but guitars and keyboards sometimes too. And, you know, that often, it often happens that, you know, like that's where I'll sort of try to, you know, I'll use the bass to try to stitch together changes that wouldn't normally flow that well. You know, that gets into um, another issue entirely, but one that I did want to touch on, which is that one of the inherent uh, occupational hazards of, um, like, doing what I do a lot, which is sort of producer with a lowercase p, you know, where I'm not hired as a producer, I'm not getting points as a producer, I'm just helping people make the best music that they can make, um, is, yeah, there's, there's a danger, there's an inherent danger of, um, of doing too much, you know, and, uh, and putting too heavy of my own imprint on it, and, and I, like, I know there's artists listening to this, you know, like grinning because it happens, it, it, and there's there's no, you know, there's no doubt about it. Um, but I want them to know that it's not something I'm unaware of, <laughs> you know. Um, it's something we're always, I'm always trying to find a balance, um, and it's hard. It's hard to find that balance sometimes. Um, and uh, but it's something that I'm aware of, and that and that I work on with every new project, and. Um, and you try to find ways to be helpful, you know, without overdoing it if possible. But it's, you also hope that, um, that the work is informative, you know, for the artists and that they begin to get their ear tuned just from doing that much work and, and, you know, seeing what works and what doesn't, um, you know, but it, it's, uh, and, you know, sometimes, it's sort of like parallel fifths, you know, where like, yeah, that was a rule that doesn't apply all the time. And the fun part is those days when, I, you know, when I get surprised, when something that doesn't make sense to me immediately, you know, as the artist's vision gets fleshed out, it makes sense later. And that's cool. And and I really try to stay open to that as well. Um, but, uh, I, yeah, I'm sharing all of this because I think it's a common experience, um, you know, with people in my position who are trying to help other people make their music, um, that it's, you know, uh, you know, when you do this all day long and you're doing different styles all the time and, and you have all different, you know, levels of, uh, you know, in terms of knowledge, musical knowledge, you know, coming in the door, um, you know, it it is tricky sometimes to you know to walk that tightrope of of helping but not helping too much. Um, but you know, I guess uh, I'm hoping that by talking about you know voice leading as an issue on this podcast, um, it can help at least shed some light for artists on why somebody might want to make some changes in their music, and that's. I think usually why, um, you know, it, it's uh, the the thing about any art really is, um, you know, you want you want it to be uh, cohesive, 
And I mean, that's the best word I can think of. And, you know, um, if, it's, if it's a painting on a canvas, every inch of that canvas matters. <laughs> like, even if, if you didn't paint on part of it, that matters. That's negative space, you know. Um, and how you divide up the, the space and, you know, everything matters. And it's the same thing, you know, with, with music. Like every voice matters how it moves matters um and you can't you can't ever think of any part of it just as a discrete statement you can't just like i get people like i really love this chord yeah i love that chord too but it has to fit it has to, it's sort of like i love this do you maybe you're writing a comedy a movie and you're like hey i love this joke and it's like okay yeah but your joke's about the roman empire and you're writing a science fiction movie it doesn't fit you know <laughs> like it's got to fit it's got to make sense in the context of what you're doing um and and that you know i mean that's an extreme example but that happens it happens a lot um and you know and as a writer in general whether you're writing again whether you're writing music or a movie or or anything um or any kind of creative person you, you know you you're going to come up with lots of different indiv you know little pieces of ideas that uh, you know are great in their own right the hard part is not using them when they don't fit and you know and saving them for when they do fit um and that i know like my wife writes novels and and she struggles with that everybody struggles with that um you know the comedian dave Chappelle had a whole bit about how he writes punchlines and he just throws them into a, a fishbowl <laughs> um it, it's you know it's a very common part of the creative experience um but it's important you know to to not uh, you know, to, to capitalize on your inspiration, document it, definitely save it, you know, for when it fits, but don't force it. Don't force it into a situation where it doesn't fit. Um, and, you know, that's what voice leading is all about. It, it's like what, where does it really want, you know, where does it really fit? Where does it want to go? I mean, like the um, the metaphor with voice leading is like all of the, lines that make up that chord they want to flow like little rivers you know like they they want to you know they want to flow in in a natural way you know and um i mean like one of the one of the rules in quote you know, quote unquote rules of of uh, counterpoint is compensated leaps so you know if you have a voice within you know that that is jumping you know up a fourth or fifth or even a sixth or whatever, you know, uh, what Counterpoint wants you to do, what Bach wants you to do is after you've leapt up to a note, your next note should be coming down, which is, your, you know, and it can be down a half step, it can be anything, but just to compensate for the leap up. Um, so, like, the, what they don't want you to do is leap up and then go up again. <laughs> But, you know, you see that, you see people do that, and if you know about the concept of a compensated leap and you make a conscious decision to, to ignore that because it works at that moment in that song, great. But at least you knew. At least you knew that you're doing something unusual, you know, and that it makes a bit of a statement in its own right because you didn't compensate it. And it's, you know, it, it helps to know that. 
Um, so, you know, uh, on the one hand, like, I want to say, like, oh, every songwriter should go study a little, you know, Bach, <laughs> a, little, a little counterpoint. But, you know, not necessarily, but just, you know, be aware of it. You know, be aware that it exists and be open to uh, feedback from people who, who, who did study it. And, and, you know, and for, for our part, for my part, uh, I try to be open to, well, maybe you broke the rules brilliantly. And maybe, you know, what you did was, was beautiful anyway. Um, you know, I always, always try to stay open to that, to that possibility first. So, all right. I think that'll do it for this episode. Um, you know, I think this was a good one. And, um, again, I'm looking forward to, uh, bringing Brian in and, and getting, you know, I know he wants to be more involved in, in the podcast and I want him to as well. He's, he's really fascinating guy. Um, you know, uh, in addition to being an incredible songwriter and also brilliant producer, the guy is amazing at like finding unique sounds and um and he's also uh a little obsessed with circuitry and and building equipment and tearing it apart and in a way that i truly am not and so he can speak to that as well which is great um and so you know hopefully we'll get into all that all right uh take care everybody i guess it's the fourth of july weekend have a safe happy holiday and we will talk to you soon take care